Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of 34-year-old Chiquita Tate, a criminal defense attorney from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. In February 2009, Chiquita was stabbed to death while working late at her office. Those close to Chiquita could not imagine who or why someone would kill her. At first, people believed her murder might be connected to her work, but the actual killer was someone much closer to her. This is Chiquita's story. As many of you may know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I think it's important to acknowledge the efforts to make us all more aware of domestic violence and its effects during this month. But we need to be aware of domestic violence every day of every month because there are thousands of women, men, and children living in fear and in danger all the time. I think many of us believe that domestic violence looks a certain way, but it does not. It exists in heterosexual relationships, and it exists within the LGBTQ relationships as well. It affects both women and men, although men are less likely to report it than women for reasons you can imagine. But remember, abuse isn't just physical. It's mental and emotional, too. And just because someone doesn't have physical bruises doesn't mean that they're safe. Now, there are certain demographics in which the likelihood that they will encounter intimate partner violence is much higher, and Black women are one of those demographics. One in four Black women will encounter intimate partner violence in their lifetime. That's 40% of all Black women. So that means if you are in a room with 100 Black women, 40 of them have potentially experienced intimate partner violence. Now, the story of what happened to Chiquita Tate is evidence that domestic violence is not exclusive to any one kind of person. Chiquita Tate came from humble beginnings. She was born in Baton Rouge on October 15, 1975. She was raised by her grandparents in a small home with her six siblings. Growing up, Chiquita's family didn't have many material things, but they had each other, and that was a lot. Chiquita was smart and ambitious, and her drive inspired her siblings to work hard, too. Chiquita attended high school in Baton Rouge until 11th grade when she moved to Chicago for reasons that are not publicly known. There, she graduated from high school, and after high school, Chiquita decided to go back down south 
but this time to Georgia, where she attended Clark Atlanta University. Jaquita was the first of her siblings to go to college, and so for them, watching their sister pursue great things let them know that they could too. While at Clark Atlanta, Chiquita majored in English, and like in high school, Chiquita did well in college, and she graduated with her bachelor's in 1996. After graduating college, Chiquita moved back to her hometown of Baton Rouge, and once there, she worked as a teacher at the Timbuktu Academy at Southern University. In 1999, Chiquita decided to apply for a job as a judicial assistant. Now, Chiquita had always had an interest in the law, and so I'm sure that's what sparked her interest in the job. The job was working for Judge Pam Taylor Johnson, who at the time was a juvenile court judge. In an interview done with Essence Magazine a few years ago, Judge Johnson recalls the day that she met Chiquita. Now, Chiquita was a very determined woman, and when she wanted something, she had what those close to her described as a persistent, sometimes aggressive side. Chiquita was determined, and she was going to get what she wanted. She was very driven. So in the interview with Essence, Judge Johnson said that Chiquita had an interview scheduled with her directly. But instead, Chiquita decided to stop by one day unannounced. And the judge said that she was too busy to meet with Chiquita. Um, so she told her, you know, I can't, I can't meet with you right now. But she said Chiquita, you know, understood and then asked if she could use the phone. Now, the phone was located in the area where the judicial assistant would sit. And Judge Johnson said that while using the phone, Chiquita must have peeked into her office and saw how disorganized her desk was. And so she just took it upon herself to go ahead and organize the desk and answer some calls while she was at it. Now, while some people might have been put off by Chiquita's forwardness, Judge Johnson was impressed. And so she offered Chiquita the job. Judge Johnson said that Chiquita was lovely and cheerful and had an infectious personality. And so for her, that made the decision to hire Chiquita a good one. And she was right. Chiquita was smart and she was a hard worker. She learned her job quickly and soon she showed the ability to understand the often complicated assignments given to the law clerks. It wasn't long before Judge Johnson took Chiquita under her wing and their relationship grew beyond just working together. Chiquita really became like a daughter to Judge Johnson. Judge Johnson was one of the people who actually encouraged Chiquita to go to law school. And so with Judge Johnson as her mentor, Chiquita applied to law school and was accepted to Southern University Law Center. Now, while she was in law school, she would visit Judge Johnson from time to time, and the judge would give Chiquita money for, you know, food or gas. But Chiquita was well on her way to having a very successful life, so she wouldn't need the judge's help forever. Chiquita graduated from law school, and she passed the bar on the first try. Chiquita always wanted to give back and help others, and so she started working as an advocate in child protective matters. According to Judge Johnson, Chiquita had been in foster care briefly when she was a child, and because of that, she really wanted to make sure that children that went into the system were protected. But she also wanted to make sure that deserving parents did the work and had the help that they needed to get their children back. Eventually, though, Chiquita decided that she wanted to do criminal law. And she quickly gained a reputation for herself representing some really hardcore people. Chiquita was well on her way to becoming one of Baton Rouge's top defense attorneys. 
In January 2005, Chiquita opened her own law firm, specializing in, of course, criminal defense. Now, Chiquita and her siblings had always been close, and so she decided to hire her sister, Danita, to help her as a legal assistant. Chiquita, like I said, was driven, and she was very focused on her career. So it's not clear how much marriage was on her list or whether it was on her list at all. But sometimes life comes at you fast, and it brings you something that you weren't even looking for. In late 2007, Chiquita was driving through the streets of Baton Rouge when she was cut off by another driver. Now, little did she know that a brief moment of road rage would lead her to meeting the man that she would marry just a few months later. And the person driving the other car was Greg Harris, a local contractor who had done pretty well for himself. According to Greg's brother in an interview that he did with Dateline about Chiquita's murder, he said that the story he heard was that after Greg cut Chiquita off in traffic, they exchanged some words. But when they pulled up to the light, the angry words had changed to smiles, and Chiquita ended up giving Greg her number. Now, despite the way they met, Chiquita was all in on Greg. He had kind of swept Chiquita off her feet. And she called her mentor, Judge Johnson, and told her that she was planning to marry Greg. Chiquita had even moved into Greg's home not long after they began dating. However, things were not as perfect as it may appear in Chiquita and Greg's relationship. Now, like many women in Chiquita's position, she didn't tell her friends everything happening behind closed doors. In December 2007, not long after Chiquita moved in with Greg, Police were called to the couple's home. Now, what sparked the argument is not clear, but whatever it was about had turned violent. Reports say that he had grabbed Chiquita by the neck and choked her, and Chiquita called 911, and Greg was arrested and charged with domestic violence. Now, we can sit in judgment of Chiquita's decision to stay, or we can realize that we don't know what was happening in Chiquita's head or in her heart. Women who suffer from domestic violence often suffer in silence. They fear the embarrassment of telling people what's happening. They fear the judgment that they will receive from the why-don't-you-just-leave crowd. So even when they aren't financially vulnerable, they still fear the repercussions of telling people what's happening to them. Also, abusers are manipulative. They use apologies and promises of changed behavior to keep their victims close and confused. And so whatever happened that December 2007 night was something that Chiquita tried to put behind her. The couple reconciled, and six weeks later, in February 2008, Chiquita and Greg got married in a small ceremony surrounded by family and friends. Now, according to everyone around her, Chiquita seemed happy with Greg. Her law practice was growing, and after, you know, a year after she got married— Chiquita moved her law practice downtown to in downtown Baton Rouge. And so for Chiquita, on the outside, she appeared to have it all. Love and a successful career. Now, in 2009, Chiquita had started working on a high-profile murder trial. Now, she was representing a pair of brothers who were accused of murdering a man and setting his body on fire in 2007. Now, the case was a big one, and the brothers had a notorious reputation in Baton Rouge. And so, for Chiquita, this case had a lot on the line. 
On February 19th, 2007, Chiquita had begun her day by going to court. And after court, she spoke to some reporters outside the courthouse about the upcoming trial. And there's actually footage of her from that very day. After court, Chiquita then returned to her downtown Baton Rouge office and began working on her defense for the trial of those two brothers. Now, like I said, this was a huge case for Chiquita, and she was really putting her all into defending her clients. So as the day ended, Chiquita found herself like still knee-deep in her work. And around 5.30, her legal assistant left for the day, but she decided to stay after hours to continue working. Chiquita, however, never made it to defend her clients at trial because that night would be the last night of Chiquita's life. Imagine you have two friends who are obsessed with stories of crime, murder, mayhem, and unsolved mysteries. They have a passion for breaking down cases that have been cold for years. Welcome to Generation Y, a podcast where hosts Aaron and Justin give startling theories, dive into forensic evidence, and share their bold opinions. In an all-new episode, Generation Y examines the case of Jonathan Amaral, a 25-year-old hiking enthusiast and biomedical engineer in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, who went missing after a weekend of hiking. He was rumored to have been seeing a co-worker, 31-year-old Brittany Barron, who was married with children. After Amaral failed to show up for work, his mother reported him missing. Police later discovered that Barron had called in earlier that day to quit her job and had also gone missing. Did the two run off together? Or had something more sinister happened? You won't believe how this shocking story ends. If you're looking for a show that covers all things true crime, then you should definitely check out Generation Y. Listen to Generation Y podcast on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or you can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus and the Wondery app. On the night of February 19th, Chiquita had been working late at her office in downtown Baton Rouge. Around 7 p.m. that evening, Greg said that Chiquita called him and asked him to bring her something to eat. Now, Greg said that he went to McDonald's in the nearby town of Baker and got Chiquita a burger and some fries and brought them to her at her office. According to Greg, Chiquita still had another client to see, and so he left her office around 8.30 p.m. and headed home. But Chiquita never made it home that night. According to reports, her husband Greg said that when Chiquita didn't come home that night, he immediately started to worry. And so he called Chiquita's office several times, but his calls went unanswered. Early the next morning, when Chiquita still wasn't home, according to Greg, he went down to her office to check on her. He said that when he arrived her build, at her building, he found her Hummer parked outside. And so he tried to access the building where her office was located, but the building was locked. Greg then decided to call 911, and here's a little snippet of that call pulled from that Dateline episode about the murder. 911. Um, my wife, um, she was working late last night, but I can't get inside the building. I need, I need a cop over here quick. Greg, however, sees a passing patrol car, and he ends up flagging them down, and he tells the police about his wife and needing access to the building. Now, a worker at the building had arrived and was able to let the police into the building. Now, while police go into the building and make their way to Chiquita's office, Greg calls Chiquita's sister, Danita, to tell her what's going on. Now, according to Danita in that same Dateline interview, 
Danita says that Greg told her that he found Chiquita's Hummer parked outside her office and that the police are there, but they won't let him in the building. Now, Danita didn't know what was going on, but Greg sounded frantic. Danita had no idea that while she was talking to Greg, police were about to find a horrific scene inside her sister's office. When police enter Chiquita's office, they find the walls covered in blood. And lying on the floor dead was Chiquita. Chiquita had been stabbed to death. Police immediately declared the building a crime scene because it was obvious that someone had murdered Chiquita. Police taped off the street where the building was located, and soon that street was filled with police cars, detectives, and the coroner. Now, once word spread about what was happening at Chiquita's office, her family and friends started showing up at the building trying to get answers from police about what was happening. But police had a bloody crime scene on their hands, and so aside from knowing that Chiquita had been brutally murdered, they really had no idea what had happened. Along with Chiquita's family, Greg stayed at the scene, and according to detectives, was extremely distraught. In fact, he was so inconsolable that they had to put him in the back of a police car so that he could calm down. Meanwhile, detectives had begun processing the scene. It was clear that Chiquita had fought for her life. There were things scattered on the floor and smears of blood all over the office walls. But whoever had attacked Chiquita had stabbed her 43 times. So not only was it brutal, it was also very personal. There wasn't much evidence at the scene. The police were unable to locate a murder weapon, and there was also no footprints or fingerprints either. I mean, despite the amount of blood at the scene, somehow the killer was able to escape without leaving a trace. Now, the possibility that it might have been a robbery gone wrong was briefly explored. But first of all, people don't typically stab someone 43 times during a robbery. And aside from that, nothing valuable was missing. Well, except Chiquita's wallet. But why would someone just take her wallet and not take the jewelry she had on or even steal her car? Now, police, they really had no clue. But they knew that they had to catch whoever killed Chiquita. Detectives continued to dissect the crime scene. And while taking a closer look at Chiquita's body, they discovered that she had a clump of hair in her hand. Now, the hair was sent to be tested by forensics to determine, you know, who the hair belonged to. But Chiquita's family was absolutely devastated by the news of her murder. Chiquita was loved by everyone, so who would want to kill Chiquita, especially like this? Chiquita's work as a criminal defense attorney meant that she represented people with violent criminal histories, and so the possibility that someone related to her work, one of her dead, was huge. But detectives decided that they were going to turn their attention to what happened that night. Now, police spoke to Greg, and he told them about dropping off the food to Chiquita that night. He tells detectives that Chiquita met him downstairs and let him in the building because after 5.30 p.m., the only way to get into the building is with a key fob or unless some, you know, or someone lets you into the building. Now, he told them that there were several other tenants in the building at the time. 
He said he went to Chiquita's office where she asked him to take some money to a client that had been waiting for her in another room. And then Greg said he left around 8.30 p.m. and went home to wait for Chiquita. Now, a few days after the investigation, Chiquita's missing wallet was found. A woman driving down a street in Baton Rouge found Chiquita's wallet on the side of the road and turned it into the police. Now, when police recovered Chiquita's wallet, all of her credit cards are still inside. And so the earlier theory of a possible robbery was now completely gone because a thief would have at least taken the cards out or the wallet before throwing it away. And so detectives began to think maybe the killer had planted the wallet in hopes that someone would come along and pick it up. And this made police think that perhaps the killer was closer to Chiquita than they initially suspected. Because, I mean, why else would someone be trying to manipulate the investigation before it had even begun? But detectives needed to determine whether or not what happened to Chiquita was related to her work. Detectives spoke to Chiquita's legal assistant about who Chiquita had met with that evening because, remember, Greg told police that Chiquita had been meeting with clients and, in fact, had still had one more meeting that evening when he left. But according to her legal assistant, Chiquita didn't have any scheduled appointments with any clients that night, especially none after hours. And so up until this point, Greg, Chiquita's husband, has been very cooperative with the police. They had spoken to him several times during the early days of the investigation. And although the spouse is often the first suspect, there was nothing really about Greg or his relationship with Chiquita that was making the police suspicious of him. But that didn't last very long. As part of his cooperation with the police, Greg let police search the home he shared with Chiquita. Now, at first, they didn't find anything significant at the home, but that was until they found a tape recorder inside of a closet. And on that recording was an argument between the couple. Now, for police, a couple having an argument wasn't really strange, but recording it was. And it was also their first glimpse into a marriage that wasn't exactly happy and actually on the verge of being over. Now, in the recording, you can hear Greg and Chiquita talking about dividing up their assets. The detectives hadn't really known much about the couple's relationship at that point, besides the fact that they had only been married for a year. And so for police, the possibility that the marriage had hit a rough patch made them look a little deeper into the couple's relationship. And soon, they discovered the incident that took place in December 2007, six weeks before Chiquita and Greg got married. Now, Chiquita and Greg's marriage had been rocky for months. Chiquita was a strong-willed, independent woman, and she really rejected the traditional role of a wife, and it caused issues for Greg. According to Danita, Chiquita's sister, Chiquita was always threatening to leave Greg, but she never actually left. Even that day, February 19th, Danita said that she spoke to Chiquita, and Chiquita told her that she, quote-unquote, couldn't do the marriage thing anymore. Now, a detective decided to bring Greg in so that they could talk to him a little bit more about what happened back in December 2007. Now, Greg sat down with detectives, but he was immediately defensive. Now, despite the police reports, you know, Greg denied putting his hands on Chiquita ever. 
He also denied that they were planning to separate. He said that he loved his wife and that they were working on their marriage. But by this time, police were beginning to be suspicious of Greg. Now, during that interview, Greg really became combative with the detectives. Police again asked Greg about his whereabouts that night. And Greg repeated the story about going to McDonald's and dropping the food to Chiquita. He then tells police that he took the interstate home. Now, police decided to see if they could kind of catch Greg in a lie. And so they told Greg that they had tracked his cell phone and his car that night when they actually had not done it. But with Greg thinking that they knew where he had been that night, they decided to ask him about the street where Chiquita's wallet was found. When the last time you been on Guardia Lane? Guardia Lane? Went to Guardia Lane last night. Really? Yes. What time you went through Guardia Lane? I don't I don't know what time it was. Approximately. Now his explanation for being on Guardia Lane was that he was buying steroids. But Greg had now just put himself at the exact area where Chiquita's wallet was found, making him the only known person to have been at both the scene of the crime and the place where her discarded wallet was found. And he was also the last person to see Chiquita alive. And so police were becoming more and more convinced that Greg had more to do with what happened than what he said. And so they continued to question Greg. And Greg became more defensive and more angry. Now, here's more of that interview Greg had with police from Dateline. You see how this looks now, huh? How? Well, you have a domestic abuse battery warrant for you, for you, for you, for you, and your wife was killed this morning. Oh, man, come on now. No. No, man. Y'all had some issues. No, no, we didn't. Do you think this is going to go away? You think you're actually going to get away with this shit? Do you really? I did not care. Do you really not care enough, or think you're smart enough to get away with this, man? Y'all not gonna put this on me. Oh. You're not gonna. No, put no, this no, on no, 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 no. We're not, not gonna, gonna put, put it on you. On no, no, you, no, no. You put it on yourself. No, I didn't. Didn't you have something to do with that? No, I didn't have nothing to do with it. She'll be here if you if it wasn't for you. No, you're not putting this on me. I don't have to put it on well, you. But you're not putting this on me because I did not I kill my it. wife. I don't have to put it on you, Greg. I did not kill my wife, okay? I don't have to put it on you, Greg. So, yes, you are. I, don't I, have I to. did not kill my Greg, wife. You know. Yeah, you talk all right, I know. You know. Yes, I know. You did, Greg. No, I didn't. You did, Greg. No, it, I didn't. Was it an accident, Greg? No, it wasn't because nothing happened. I mean, what, what happened, Greg? Nothing happened. She's dead. Something happened, Greg. Nothing happened. What triggered that, Greg? You're not going to put this on me. What trigger? You're not going to put my wife's murder on me. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I did not kill my wife. Why'd you do it? Didn't do it. Did you plan it? No. You didn't plan it? Didn't do Remember it. Remember all of a sudden, didn't it? Didn't happen. Okay. You lost your temper? Didn't. St- I had no reason to lose my temper. We was getting along just fine. Man, I had no reason man, to lose my temper. Man, she's about to leave you, boy. You know she's about to no, leave I you. No, I didn't. She turned about it. She's about to leave you. Well, I didn't know anything about it. Now, as you can hear, the interview got very heated. But suspicions and accusations were not going to be enough to arrest Greg for Chiquita's murder. And he clearly wasn't about to confess. However, detectives did have an outstanding warrant for Greg from that domestic violence charge in 07. Apparently, Greg never showed up for court. 
And so police were able to hold Greg on that warrant while they looked for more evidence. Now, a few days after Greg was taken into custody for the outstanding warrant, detectives received an anonymous tip about Chiquita's murder. The caller told detectives that Chiquita had been involved in a lesbian relationship triangle with one of her clients and that the woman was possibly responsible for Chiquita's murder. The caller even gave the police the names of both of the women that they said were involved. Now, remember, when Chiquita's body was found, in her hand was a clump of hair. And when the hair was tested by forensics, they found that the hair was artificial. It probably was from a wig or from hair extensions. So very early on, police thought that their killer might be a woman. But they had determined that it would have been more difficult for a woman to commit such a brutal murder. But two women wasn't something the police had considered. Now, the caller had given detectives the names of the two women, and Chiquita had actually been representing these women in an adoption case. But when police spoke to the women, they had nothing but good things to say about Chiquita, and they expressed no animosity towards her. They also vehemently denied that either of them had been in a relationship with Chiquita. Now, whoever had called police with this tip was clearly trying to throw police off with this bogus information. And so police decided to turn their attention to whoever had called. Now, the voice had been a woman's voice, and the detectives were able to trace it to a town in Texas. And eventually, they got the number to a woman who lived in that town. And when police called the number, the woman's voice on the phone was the same voice of the anonymous tipster. Now, detectives asked her how she knew Chiquita Tate, and she told them that Chiquita had been married to her brother, Greg. So the person trying to push the police down a rabbit hole was none other than Greg's own sister. Now, I don't know if she thought that she was helping her brother by making up this complete lie, but she didn't. She actually made him look even more suspicious than he already did. Now, in that Dateline episode, Greg's father denies that his daughter, Greg's sister, was purposely trying to throw off police. He said that he was actually the one who heard about the lesbian relationship from another attorney and that he told his daughter. He said that he didn't tell her to go to police, but he said that police should have wanted to investigate every single angle. However, detectives and the prosecutor believe that Greg was a controlling man who had lost control of Chiquita, and so he decided to kill her. They found out that Chiquita had taken out a lease on a new apartment, which indicated to them that Chiquita was planning to move out and divorce Greg, and she was actually taking serious steps to do so. But the evidence police had against Greg did not show that he had killed her. A rocky marriage? Yes. But that doesn't mean that he killed her. Now, fingernail scrapings taken from under Chiquita's nails matched Greg, but they also matched someone else. And so for Greg's family, that meant that the other DNA had to have belonged to the killer. But unfortunately for Greg's family, detectives would soon find the right evidence to link Greg to Chiquita's murder. Now, during their investigation, police had searched Greg's Mercedes, and they had taken a pair of sunglasses to test for DNA. 
Now, the sunglasses had been under the front driver's seat of the car, presumably forgotten about. A forensics test of the glasses revealed that there was blood on both the lens and the arm of the glasses. And the blood was a combination of Greg and Chiquita's. And that was really everything prosecutors needed to charge Greg with murder. On March 16th, 2009, a little less than a month after Chiquita was brutally murdered, her husband Greg was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Now, it would take another two years before Greg went to trial for Chiquita's murder. And in March 2011, the trial began. Now, prosecutors painted a picture of a controlling man who murdered Chiquita because she was planning to leave him. But the defense argued that Greg did not kill his wife and that the hair found in her hand was proof. Now, the prosecutor's theory was that the hair, like the wallet, had been planted. But the defense tried to argue that it belonged to the real killer, who quite possibly could have been a woman. However, the prosecutors had more than enough evidence pointing to Greg. Aside from the blood-stained sunglasses, they found blood spots all over the couple's home, as well as on a bottle of bleach. Prosecutors had argued that Chiquita's murder was premeditated. But after deliberation, the jury came back with a verdict that shocked both the defense and the prosecution. The jury found Greg guilty, but not of first-degree murder or even second-degree murder they found him guilty of manslaughter. Now, the conviction carried a sentence ranging from a few months to 40 years. And the judge gave him the max. 40 years without the possibility of parole. Now, Greg has tried to appeal his conviction, but they so far have all been denied. And he's currently still behind bars. A 40-year sentence means that he won't be eligible for release until 2051. In the years following Chiquita's death, her sister Danita has fought hard to keep her sister's memory alive. She has even started several businesses named after her sister. The rest of her siblings have also tried to pick up the pieces and move on without Chiquita, as hard as that is every single day. So much promise, so much potential, just stolen. Now, there have been several shows over the years that have covered Chiquita's story. And so it's not really a story that hasn't been told or a story that did not receive a lot of mainstream attention. But it's the story of a woman, a sister, a friend, an attorney, whose life was brutally taken by the man that she married. The sad part is that Greg knew exactly the type of woman he was getting when he married Chiquita. And instead of being a man, he decided to kill her. Whether premeditated or in the heat of the moment, Greg Harris will spend decades in prison thinking about the lives he ruined. Not just his, not just Chiquita's, but all the people who Chiquita would have helped and whose lives she would have changed. May Chiquita Tate rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We will be back next week with a brand new story. Join us on Patreon for exclusive mini-sodes and ad-free episodes. As always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Black Girl Gone Podcast. Listening on Apple Podcasts? Show your support for the show by leaving a review and a five-star rating.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.